Do we want to tell the story of why our first episodes of this year got all fucked up and why we had to rearrange our schedule of releases? Yes, we could do that now. Yeah. <laughs> it took me a while to figure out what the hell you were talking about. <laughs> Cat. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the new episode of Rabbit Holes Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Elise. And I'm your other host, Andy. And we have a story for you today because we have very exciting and happy news to share. Um, yes. Yes. So as you may remember earlier on this year when we were releasing episodes, things got all kind of out of order because we switched up our release dates and it was a whole thing. And now we can tell you about it as I tease back in January as to we couldn't tell you about it then, but hopefully we tell you in the future. And that future is now. So, Andy, would you like to share why we're able to tell people the story and what the story actually is? Maybe I shouldn't <laughs> have agreed to this. Uh, so, uh, back over Christmas, I got in trouble for at work um, for stupidly, like, Googling something for the podcast that I probably should have known better not to Google. And, uh, yeah, I didn't clear my history. I learned my lesson. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so one of the things is because someone that we used to work with is convinced that good old Elise is a puppet master, oh, a Svengali of sorts. Yes. <laughs> and that Andy has no absolute uh, ability to make decisions in her own life and for herself. No, no. Yeah. I'm not, and I'm not like a 38 year old woman or anything. Uh, who knows her own mind. But uh, mm -hmm. so there are some questions about uh, the podcast and could I continue? And is it, uh, yeah. So there's lots of questions at work about how that works in with work and work and personal life. And there are some attempts to dictate what one can do on their free time. And who so we, we could thought, be friends with at the same time. And who we could be friends with. Again, we're in our 30s and we're at a professional yeah. workplace. Uh, so what we did to try to calm the fires is because, uh, you know, we had talked about sex. Oh, my God. So we had decided to uh, reorder all of our uh, January episodes yeah. because we had done, I had done the fetish and uh kink episode so we instead of putting that right out when i would have been going back to work to this whole firestorm um yeah uh we sort of reordered it so yes. supplied some a distance and so hopefully people would forget about it which they sort of did uh but yes i have definitely learned my lesson right about what to search <laughs> and also that uh, I am no longer going to be employed at that place anymore. So, yeah. And that's why we can tell you the story now because who the F cares? Yeah. What are, what's, what's, there's no consequences for Andy now to tell the story of why we buckled a little bit to pressure to save her, her some ickiness around Grief. the office. Yes. <laughs> so tell yeah. us this exciting news about why this is a story we can now share. 
Well, because I resigned my position last week and I will take up a new position at a new place of uh, that has some very structured uh, rules around what you can use uh, for your work computer for. So I still won't be doing any of that. Okay. Uh, like, uh, obviously, stupid, stupid me. Yeah. Um, it was just an image search. I was kind of looking for a picture to put up on uh, a specific thing I had in mind, and uh, I didn't, I couldn't find it on my phone very easily. So I was trying to to use the work computer to do it. So just dumb, dumb stupidness of myself. But oh, it was my own dumbass fault. But then the whole got got into the whole. Well, you're still friends with Elise, and is that the is that the best for you? Does she have your best interests at heart? Right. And I was like, what the. F- are you talking about what the absolute fuck are you talking about and i think my first reaction to you telling me this was we'll put the show on hiatus like it's fine like career versus hobby we'll we'll stop the hobby until you're in the clear and then we can re-examine it so this whole is elise's friendship like worth it like elise has more concern for you than those people did (laughs) I know. I was like, this is bonkers. This is absolutely bonkers. But that's just indicative of where we were working. The environment, yes. So that was the environment that we both worked in together. And now we've both gone out into the wider world to expand and grow our careers. And I'm very excited for you. And congratulations. Thank you. Yes. uh, Last Friday when I got home, because Dan was home earlier than me and picked up the kids. Why was I late? I don't remember. Um, oh, because I had uh, a meeting. Yes. And so Dan picked up the kids. And I came home and Dan had ta- told Elizabeth to say, congratulations on quitting your job. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what we think she said. But right, he was yeah. like, that's what I told her. So yeah. So that was pretty funny for a four-year-old to be like, not congratulations on getting a new job because the congratulations on a new job was the day before. Yes. But it was like Friday was congratulations on quitting your job. (laughs) I think in all the years that we've been friends and all of the like just reams, like if we're ever involved in a court case and they pull our text transcripts, like good luck to the poor paralegals that have to sort through that shit because it is legion. But I think we have only ever actually had phone conversations maybe four or five times. And it's been at like massive crises points. And you finally broke the the record of it being a negative thing to call each other because I got a phone call from you on my way home on Thursday. And I was just like, oh, boy, I hope this is not bad news. (laughs) That is true. We do only call each other at a crisis. like a major life crisis like i am going to fucking go and murder someone you really need to hear me vent this at you so i don't vent it to their face like (laughs) with knives yes (laughs) so that was the the saga behind our uh january kind of switch up and kerfuffle and now everyone knows and we're moving forward in our careers and our lives in a very happy place uh we get to continue on with this a little hobby of ours. We're up to 39 episodes. So even if we threw in the tower towel tomorrow, we have a nice kind of catalog that we can look back at and enjoy. But I fully intend on keeping this one going for as long as you'll have me. So there's that. It's funny because uh, I'm at my last work event. And so we had to go around and introduce ourselves. And they even got me to do it. And it was like one thing you might not know about me. And I'm like, well, because I didn't even think 
that I would have to get up and welcome everybody this morning. So they're like, (laughs) the facilitators like, oh, you're gonna get up and welcome. I'm like, okay. (laughs) Welcome to the leadership retreat. Don't forget to pick your lunch. Like, (laughs) and I was like, not that you'd know from that performance, but I actually have a podcast. I said, we started it this year, me and Elise, like some of the people in the room knew who you were. Oh, nice. yeah, so actually a bunch of people did. Um, oh. And uh, all good things. Good. Uh, and uh, I'm like going through my mind. I'm like, oh, was, shit. <laughs> and one of them's like, I love podcasts. I'll follow you. I'm like, rabbit holes podcast. Oh. I could do that now. That explains why we had a massive spike of listeners from the Ottawa area today. <laughs> That's we had like 14 nice. downloads of a bunch of random episodes. I was like, I don't know what's happening. This doesn't look like spam. I don't know who or what happened. Maybe I should ask Andy if she like mentioned the podcast. <laughs> and there we I are. Did. <laughs> I can do that now. <laughs> oh boy. Now I'm like, huh, how many people listen to the 420 episode? Hmm. <laughs> or the porn episode. The porn episode. That was a little further back in the catalog. I didn't see that one get picked up. So <laughs> That's true. So it's not legal now, like the 420. So I'm trying to like get over my hump of like being ashamed and like there shouldn't be any shame anymore. It's no different from like our parents sitting down with wine or um, scotch at the end of the day type of thing. So I'm trying to like get over that, but there's still a little something kind of naughty about it. Oh, definitely. There's still a taboo associated with it. Yeah. Well, on that note, let's uh, hop into our episode for this week. I figured since I went first last week that you could go first this week. (laughs) So, hold on, I gotta get my book out here because I had to write in the book today because I'm doing this on the computer so I couldn't have it done on the computer. It's just a bit of a mess. So this is the year of the scam. So I read Lady Gossip. She keeps calling it the year of the scam. So like saying 2019 is like the year of the scam with the popularity of the documentaries and the stories of like Fry Festival, mm-hmm. the story of Theranos and Elizabeth Holmes. And that's getting its own Shonda Rhimes show. Uh, even in abducted in plain sight is really, it's a con man, right? Like, yeah, he was conning to have some sex with underage girl, but it's, it's still a con. Like he, con that whole family dirty john the college enrollment scandal because i mean that was a big scheme and a big con um so like great con artists are both appalling and in some ways like really appealing because good con people are really good at their job and i think it's in some instances we don't feel bad for the victim in cons sometimes yeah like you feel bad for the little old lady who's getting conned but um sometimes like for the fry festival there wasn't a lot of sympathy that these people generated when they were posting about you know how they got stuck in a caribbean island after spending thousands of dollars on tickets for a show you should have known was too good to be true like if you have that kind of money to waste then i'm sorry dude also if you're going to spend like $50,000 to get a fucking tent, like a fool in their money needs to be parted. Well, and that's the thing, like with so many cons, sometimes we just don't feel as bad for the victims as we do of other crimes. Right. Except yeah. for the little old ladies. And obviously the abducted in plain sight was horrible, but yeah. 
for the like the Fry Festival or even the Theranos. Like, okay, I feel bad for the people who had some misdiagnosis, but you also look at the investors and you go, well, how did you not realize that this was not going to happen, right? Like, how did you not do your due diligence? That's what due diligence is supposed to do. Yeah. So again, it's on you that you didn't follow up. So, um, like, con artists, good conners tend to be very smart people. And sometimes it makes you wonder, like, if they use their skills for good instead of, like, not good, yeah. how, like, what kind of changes they could have made in the world. But they chose the betterment of themselves other than others. And still, like, you can get rich doing the betterment of others, too. Mm-hmm. Usually slightly more legally than yeah these people have tried but it's like that guy who sold the brooklyn bridge like i can't remember his name but like as you were like going through the list of shit that he did i was just like holy god like if you had put that into positive energy like where would we have been (laughs) or the guy who sold the eiffel tower like and i say like our fascination with conmans is not new like you just said the guy who sold the brooklyn bridge like that was really easy to find information on that dude yeah Uh, or the guy who sold the brooklyn bridge whose name i can't remember he used to use Count Von something or other. Um, but, like, we have always been fascinated. I think we're always fascinated in society with crime. I mean, I listen to way too many true crime podcasts, and those are ridiculously popular. I'm convinced, like, 50% of the pod sphere is just true crime and paranormal, if not more. Yeah, if we, <laughs> if we had done that, we would have been, like, off to the races. Totally. So, um, con women also uh, get a lot of love in this sphere. It's not like, sorry. (laughs) So, you know, it's one of those, uh, I guess, women positive crime. Because, well, I think what it is, is like, depending on who the victims are, you just look at it and you're like, well it's about time women got a little something like a little piece of the pie or a little bit of revenge. So maybe I won't feel that terrible about what they've done. And I'm look the other way for a certain extent of time. I think that's what it is. But there's also always been con women, like con women have been just as prolific in history as con men. It's something that we've always been able to do on the same level. Yes. The cons are slightly different. So a popular con for women back in the day is the lost princess, or they call it lost princess, but it's like faking that you're part of a wealthy family, either mm-hmm. the illegitimate daughter of somebody or the lost daughter of somebody, usually someone who's dead. Right. And then you show up and you're like, well, my mom had a one night stand with your dad and he paid her a lot of money and now I'm here to collect on the rest of it. Right. So that was a really common theme. Like like all the Anastasias. Yes. The Tsar, last Tsars of Russia, like similar. Yeah. Some of those people also have mental illnesses, but so here's one famous or notorious uh, con woman from back of the day, Mary Carlton. She pulled the old orphaned princess line in the 17th century. Hmm. Uh, She was a bit before her time, though. She was married to two men at the same time. Get it, girl. Which resulted in a bigamy trial. Yeah. And when these non-shocking marriages fell apart, also at the same time, (laughs) because... I assume juggling two men is probably not easy. Uh, and f- she also was having, at the same time, a fling with a, me- a wealthy nobleman. 
Well, I mean, she got lots of balls in the air. Yeah. <laughs> and in her, yeah, never mind. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so when the heat got too hot for her in England, she took off and she fled to the Netherlands. When Mary returned, she was using the persona Princess von Woolway from Cologne. With this persona, she wed a string of men, mm. playing on their affections only to rob them. Even though many of her victims did not complain because they were just straight up embarrassed, a yes. few of them did, and she ended up being convicted and hanged at the age of 30. Oh my god. That seems a little extreme. Yeah, she conned a lot of people, though. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it all comes down to like who she conned and how much power they had, but like still. Yeah, like they're thinking. I don't remember how many actually like complained about her cons. Like she was writing some big cons too. She was robbing. She wasn't just like, oh, I'm going to marry you, milk you dry, and then kick you out. She was like straight up robbing people. So um, let's look at a more common scam and scam artists. So you might know the case, but it's a slightly modern version of the lost princess was Anna Sorkin. Okay. In New York. So she was just sentenced to up to 12 years in prison for her scams. Yeah. Yes. So Anna arrived on the scene around 2012. They weren't entirely sure exactly when, but she started showing up at events that attracted the wealthy and super wealthy and said her name was Anna DeVray. And she was a wealthy heiress from Germany who would come into her trust fund at age 25. How her family got money and where her family was from, no one quite knew. Like, there was lots of stories. Like, some people would swear her dad was a Russian ambassador. Someone else would swear her dad was a Russian tycoon. And she always said she was German, but her German was terrible. <laughs> Why they thought she was German, I did not know. <laughs> so there was a lot, like, lots of questions and nobody had uh, any clear answers. But a lot of people knew. What people knew is she claimed she was rich. And she seemed to have a lot of cash. Okay. So, um, and she started showing up at places like Art Basel. She was claimed that she was into art. So she showed up in a bunch of places and got some really wealthy friends. So one of her first uh, was a Japanese art collector whose name I will not even attempt to, uh, to butcher. And so she had convinced him that they should go to Venice for an art festival and that she told him that she would pay him back for the tickets and everything. So he did. And it was, a, you know, thousands of dollars and she never paid him back. And then he was always like, oh, is she going to pay me back? But then he forgot about it because apparently when you're ultra rich, that's really yeah. easy to do. A thousand here, a thousand there. If you're not really paying close attention, what's what's the difference? So her big thing was she was always talking about this space and foundation she wanted to set up. So it would be like an art gallery and a club and a restaurant and she was going to name it after herself and call it the Anna DeVray Foundation. Although she thought that might be a bit narcissistic. A little bit. <laughs> Just a smidge. So anyway, after about two years <laughs> of living in New York, like she had been on the scene since 2012. So she had bounced from Dubai back to New York. And then she'd leave for a few months because she didn't have like a full visa. So, like, she's coming back and in and out on visitors' visas. And she'd stay at luxury hotels. She would flash cash around and pay all of the staff. She had, like, really high 
flute and friends. She would hold sort of court. She was always dressed really nice, but there were still all these red flags for people. Mm -hmm. If they had looked, they probably would have seen. Like sometimes she would call and ask friends to book taxi cabs on their visas. Um, She would, like she was dressed very nicely, but her hair was never quite her, her hair never quite matched, wasn't quite done. More like a regular person haircut and not like a Kate Middleton haircut where like she's like two minutes out of labor and she's already got a full blowout with curls. Yeah, yeah. like just this like didn't quite. But she's wearing like thousands of dollars of clothes to the point where she tried to hold up her her uh, trial because her um, Louis Vuitton shirt wasn't pressed so she had nothing to wear oh poor baby (laughs) so anyways she ended up conning quite a lot of money out of people so what she she kept going to banks to try to get loans Hmm. to open this art art gallery she had a full working business plan Hmm. for this space that she wanted to do this performance space art gallery club combo and she had hired architects well hired got friends with children of famous architects who were also architects to help her design and do her vision. And she had a PR firm and she was, she had some of like really questionable forged documents, but even like she had screenshots of like $20 million in a bank account somewhere in Europe. Mm. that was not hers (laughs) because she used to say that she was coming into her trust fund at 25. So there's one bank that gave her like a hundred thousand dollar advance loan and then there was another bank that she was asking for I think a million dollar loan so they wanted 50,000 from her to do some of the due diligence so she took that hundred thousand dollars that the other bank had given her given 50,000 of that to the other bank that was doing their due diligence (laughs) and then she spent the other 50 and then she decided she pulled out of the um loan application with the other bank so they gave her like 30 something of that back so she took that and then spent that so her big downfall came um so she had befriended this photographer and writer well she was a writer for vogue and again she was just a writer but she had become really friendly with anna and anna decided they were going to go to morocco her, the writer, um, another friend. I think there's three or four of them. Anyways, so the friend, so the writer, booked the plane tickets on her own credit card. And then Anna had booked them into this, like, luxury villa, all high-end everything. But then when they got there, they had been staying there for a couple of days. And all of Anna's credit cards were being declined. So they're starting to harass them for money, payment, payment, payment. And all of a sudden, like these security guards and these very ominous looking men used to keep showing up. And then one of their people got sick and they wouldn't let them leave until they paid. So Anna convinced the writer to pay on her credit card. Like $62,000 was this charge. Yeah, it was. Because Anna was going to pay her back. She just had, her money was just tied up in legal, just tied up with the trust fund, just tied up in legal. She'll get the money to her like in a couple of days. So up until this point, 
the friend who was the writer really hadn't taken any stock of the multiple red flags because she was she was writing the coattails of, of a lot of this. Right. The benefits of being a friend of someone who is wealthy. And then they get back to New York. So this girl has paid pretty much what she gets paid a year. Yeah. And for this one trip. And Anna starts dodging her calls. At that point, the second hotel has kicked Anna out for not paying her bills. Okay. So she's floating all this cash around, but everybody notices that she's not really doing much with her credit cards. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden people start getting suspicious. So eventually after hounding Anna to the point of no return, this girl still is not getting her money. So she eventually does call the cops when she's like, I don't think this person is who she says she is. Good for her. And the cops were already starting to look into her because of the hotel's fraud. So eventually she becomes part of this, but she's never going to get her 62. I don't think she works at Vogue anymore. She's like kind of lost a bunch of weight. The stress of it has killing her. But that was sort of the start of the downfall of Anna. So now she just, if you want to read some of the articles about this chick in court, like she never apologizes. You know, she is honestly so full of herself. I think the headline I saw this week that made me laugh the hardest was, yeah, I did it and I'd do it all again. I was like, you go, sister. Like, just put it out on Front Street. Like, <laughs> just own it. <laughs> but she was a pretty good calm artist. Like, she yeah. she got away with it for a long ass time. And what's like amazing, I think, to me is that she got away with it as long as she did. And But there's so many red flags that nobody notice it's like really it goes like well rich people tend to lose track of their money do they do they like granted i don't know anybody that rich but i don't know anybody who loses track of money in that way trump lost track of 1.2 billion dollars in the last decade or so apparently so it happens (laughs) maybe it's just like so many like if your friend is rich why are you picking up the tab and why are you putting cabs on your credit card yeah. When she's like bribing the front desk at the hotel to get her a reservation by flashing hundreds of dollars of bills. Right. So there's just a lot of like things that didn't add up, but nobody wanted to look at it because I think in a situation where you're riding the coattails of a really rich person and then that person gets caught up in a lifestyle that they cannot afford because their whole defense was, well, in New York, you fake it till you make it. And that's what she was doing. Yes. But she also defrauded people like half a million dollars. Yeah. You know, like, so that's not quite faking it till you make it. That's faking (laughs) it until you get caught and go to jail. Yes. Um, you remember uh, one of the episodes we were in uh, Women's History Month, I was talking about Shonda Rhimes, and she yes. had a Netflix deal. I think this is the case that she's doing a Netflix show for. Like, it's based off of this, or it's inspired by this, or something like that. Yes, this is the one that Shonda Rhimes is doing. You're right. Sorry, not Theranos. Although she might be doing Theranos, too. I mean, Netflix threw a lot of money at her, so it wouldn't surprise me if That's she true. also popped in on that but, one. But I mean, I, I get that. Like it'd be this would be an interesting one to have a show on, 
But I also kind of just feel like it feeds in. She's excited to have a show on her. She just thinks it's awesome that she's going to have a show on herself. And I'm just like, this is just feeding this bitch's narcissism, right? Like, this is not helping anybody. This is not not really going to be a really good thing to watch. Like, I just find it a bit icky. Like, I would watch a show on the guy who sold the Brooklyn Bridge. Right. But I find this one because she is just so excited. It's sort of like that serial killer who's like really excited that we know that they're a serial killer because this is part of feeds into their narcissism. But like, what's the difference between like the Brooklyn Bridge guy and this chick? Like, is it just time? Like, I think it's just time. Time. And I don't the know if that- that's so connected to social media and everything like that. Like Brooklyn Bridge guy could have been the biggest self promoter in the world and loved every moment of what he did and be really excited about it. But like, we don't have his Instagram to like follow along on and pictures of him in court right so to me it's like yeah she's probably gonna get a big kick out of this but she's gonna get that kick from whatever penitentiary she ends up serving her time in (laughs) so let her have it she's gonna come out no bank is ever gonna touch her again for anything she's gonna have to get a regular nine to five good luck getting one in corporate america or anywhere in new york like because people google your name now before they hire you so unless you're going to change her name, like, good luck. But her name isn't wasn't Anna DeVray, so I, I could totally see her coming out of jail, yeah, disappearing, and showing up in Australia as a different name with a different accent and a different hair. And she could continue conning people because she's young. Like, she's only, she's from, like, her father was a trucker and she's Russian descent. And, like, she grew up poor and... She's only in her 20s. Mm-hmm. I mean, she even is, she's, the sentence is up to 12 years, but it's like four to 12 years. So the chances of her serving all 12. Even all four. Is, <laughs> like, yeah. Like, you know, it's likely she's not going to spend all that much time in jail. And she'll come out and she'll disappear and uh, may or may not surface again, depending on who she cons the next time yeah like what's her passport you said she's russian i think so like are they gonna deport her from the states i think so well i mean go enjoy conning some russian oligarchs i mean that usually ends up real well for those who do the conning yeah when she's back in russia she'll probably just like fake a passport and squirrel her way out of the country again like You know, these people that come up with, it's like, you know, yeah, you see this guy, Billy, who's Fry Festival, he'll never be able to legitimately, you know, work in a startup again, but he'll con somebody. I mean, he was trying to con more people out of their money while he was being investigated for the Fry Festival. Yes. So. Fire. Fire Festival, sorry. I would go to a Fry Festival if I could. (laughs) I think it's because it's spelt so weird. Like, yeah, I see it and I think fry. <laughs> uh, and isn't who was it? Was it Ja Rule? Was the the partner on that? He, oh. He's already talking about doing a a similar but different festival. I'm like, buddy, <laughs> we like no one's gonna touch that with a ten foot pole. You could be like completely above board and honest. No investor's gonna give you money, and nobody's gonna pay another fifty thousand dollars for a yurt ever again. Like they've well, no, that's not true. Like, we're really dumb as a species, so it'll probably work. <laughs> I would like to backtrack on my statement. <laughs> and the 
thing is, like, he was very like, oh, I didn't know what I was, you know, I didn't know anything. And then when you see these documentaries that are coming out, like, bitch, you knew everything. <laughs> so, you know, like, the IRS and the ICE, uh, he didn't actually commit the, like, securities and cha- exchange frauds. But right. you know the IRS is sitting there going, yes, please plan another one so we yeah. can catch you this time. <laughs> Come. <laughs> your financial statements are going to get combed at the IRS headquarters for like the next decade. And they're going to go back the seven oh, years they're allowed to. You're screwed. <laughs> I know what they're just waiting to catch him. Like, yeah. you know, there, mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of these people come undone because they're very smart, but then they get very cocky and they're very narcissistic. And then usually that ends up being their downfall. Yes. Like her. Right. She just ended up wanting too much. Like had she not decided to do this in Moroccan trip and she had not decided to, you know, try to stay at yet another high end hotel. Because, I mean, there are high end hotels in New York. Yes, there's lots of them. But, you know, they talk. Yeah. And eventually she will get blackballed. And then she's starting to stay on people's couches. And then those people were like, hey, you owe us thousands of dollars. Yeah. So it's a sort of snowballed. Right. You got to keep your cons either you got to keep moving yes or you've got to keep slowly grow them and you know if the real housewives show has taught us anything it's that a girl's trip to a luxury resort is never going to end well someone's going to end up crying mm-hmm. things are not gonna come out the way you want them to so thank you andy of bravo for teaching us that lesson so that's my story. It wasn't totally finished, but I've been reading about this woman for like ages. Mm-hmm. So I could love it. But uh, oh my god, like because I it was in she was on trial when I was in New York, right? And it was sort of like very prominent on the news in New York yeah. because it's a New York thing, and it's like oh, like everybody comes to New York to make it, and this like like fake it or make it is not an actual legal defense. However, like. <laughs> No, but I mean, it does win you the presidency, as we've seen. <laughs> so that is true. <laughs> Although he was given a lot of his money by his dad, it's not like he came from nothing. It was just a small loan of ten million dollars, Andy. <laughs> I know. <laughs> we should be asking our parents for small loans of ten million dollars. I mean, he said that, and I flashed back to the time where my dad like harassed me to get his Tupperware back after Thanksgiving dinner, like. <laughs> That was a small loan, and he expected it back, like, now. $10 million is not a small anything. <laughs> Why can I picture your dad being like, uh, are you done with that Tupperware? <laughs> yeah, I would like it back, please. You took the only lid that fits, like, 17 of my Tupperware containers. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> okay, let me turn the light on in the podcasting studio, because uh, I forgot to turn it on before I sat down, and then I'll tell you my story. I'm uh, glad you didn't do a sex story because I do have the Puritan Victorian uh, episodes prepped and ready to go. But I also have another story that I prepped uh, this week that I was super excited about and that I'm happy to tell you all about. I honestly can't even remember where the inspiration for this came. It just it showed up on my phone uh, in my giant list of topics to cover at some point. So God knows where it came from. Um, I did have one notation with it uh, in parentheses after this. I put thanatology. Uh, have you ever heard of that? 
the look on your face tells me no. Uh, so I didn't, I, not. I didn't know what it is either. So thanatology is technically the study of death and all things that go along with it. So uh, my inspiration for this week was thanatology and weird fields of study. Ooh. Mm, all the ologies, the weird ologies out there. Let's start with thanatology, though, as the jumping off spot. So uh, remember my Greek myth stories from January? I was talking about some of the old mm-hmm. Greek gods. Yeah. And I talked about the early god of death, who was Thanos. Uh, no, Thanatos. Thanos is a Marvel character, so I've got to keep those separate. So Thanatos. <laughs> um, that's where this field gets its name, obviously, because he was the god of death, and this is the study of death. The field was first developed slash classified by a Russian scientist called Eli Mechenkov, who in 1903 established a science dis- uh, scientific discipline devoted to the study of death. He argued that those who were dying had few or no resources for the experience of dying and that an academic study would help those facing death to have a better understanding of the phenomenon and reduce their fear of it. He realized that while medical students worked with cadavers throughout their anatomical studies, there was almost no instructions for how to care for the dying and there was no research being done Um, to include death into the medical curriculum. So as early as 1903. It is primarily an interdisciplinary study, though. So if you, like, pop in uh, thanatology programs on Google, like, almost every university or college is offering some form of education in this field uh, because it wraps in medicine, nursing, psychology, philosophy, social sciences, um, like, social care, all of that. Uh, World War II was a new level of fuck-upness in the world uh, when it comes to death and dying. And so humanity was looking for a way to deal with the emotional fallout of this mass death. And uh, Hermann Feifel, an American psychologist, picked up the work of Eli Metchenkoff, the Russian scientist. And he is considered the pioneer of the modern death movement. And he published the book, The Meaning of Death, which was one of the first books to discuss death and dying openly. So before that, it was kind of a tabooish issue. Nobody really wanted to discuss it. It took decades for academics to acknowledge the need for this field, though. And it wasn't until the Death with Dignity movement in the early 1970s that it gained acceptance as an interdisciplinary category for the study of death. Uh, It's a large field that basically investigates the mechanism and forensic aspects of death so the bodily change that accompanies it, and the post-mortem period, as well as the wider psychological and social aspects related to death. So both your own and the death of those around you and death in community and culture. So it's really an all-encompassing field that has to do with that. Like I said, there's a lot of universities and colleges that with programs in the field. So just as an example, King's College at the University of Western Ontario has a good program. Uh, And from their website, they say it's an interdisciplinary field. It involves issues like bereavement and grief, uh, ethical issues, palliative care, suicide, children and death, spiritual and philosophical issues, changes and transitions, popular culture, grief and trauma, and diversity and social justice. In the program, you can take courses that deal with suicide theory and intervention, children and how they handle death, uh, and spiritual and philosophical issues related to death, dying, and bereavement. But thank you, Western. Uh, They put their course syllabuses online. So I was able to look at the uh, pop culture of death course syllabus to find out like what they're doing each week. Yeah. 
So the course description is an exploration of portrayals of social norms for death, dying, and bereavement presented in popular culture and how those portrayals reflect and affect social policy, social norms, and contemporary thinking about death-related issues. Death-related themes will be examined in film, media, contemporary writing, television, and mass media markets, music, art, and the internet. So weeks one to three look at background, journalism, and television and how all of that, like, death is represented in those. Weeks three to eight is where I would want to sit in on the classes because it takes a decades approach to death in pop culture. So it starts with the 60s, the 70s, and it goes right up to the 2000s. Yeah. And then there's a week on consumerism and, um, like, at the, end of the progr- at the end of the semester, so one week on consumerism and the death of the planet. So kind of looking at how we're killing the planet and how we're taking that into stride and what we're doing about it. Um, And then also there's another really interesting week at the end. It's diversity and death outcomes, which sounds really intriguing to me. So like how there's always a token black person in the horror movie and they're always the first to die. Like, I think that's what they're getting at. And like, what does that mean? And how is death represented? And how are we interpreting what we're seeing in media? I don't know if I'd want to take thanatology as a... um, a program of discipline study yeah but like some of the courses seem interesting so if you're looking to get into a growing field uh thanks to the boomers thanatology is going to become a big one sorry but it's just facts <laughs> yes you're old and dying yes. uh, so there's a lot of career possibilities because it's so interdisciplinary so if you're kind of struggling to find out where you want to go in your career i highly suggest checking out thanatology as an option up next, you can disappoint your parents by th- by studying thaumatology. And what is thaumatology, you may ask? Even Wikipedia proper doesn't have a page on it, uh, so you know it's a fringe. Obscure. Yeah. Rather, you have to go to some offshoot of Wikipedia, like one of the like self-contained kind of ones, uh, to get info on it, so you know it's going to be good and messed up. <laughs> So as a reminder, the name of it is Thaumatology. Uh, the Greek etymology of the, world, of the word means miracle study, and it has two definitions. The first is that it's the scientific study of the spiritual and parasomnic and the nature of the essences pertaining to it. And B, it's the practice of the utilization of such energies in order to manipulate natural forces. So it sounds like a reasonable definition when you put it in academic speak. Uh, and then really like what this is, is the study of magic and miracles and the unknown. So the conjuring arts. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that definition sounds reasonable. And then the wiki page goes sideways and says this, uh, thaumaturgy has existed since the dawn of civilization and is regarded as the decisive factor of the development of various sentient races into much more centralized and advanced societies. The elven people are considered to be the first thaumaturgers, owing to their divergence from humans as due to their increased affinity and exposure to the thaumata they have encountered. Yeah. So they are inferring that elves are real? Yes. But, like, I think it's more like the Orlando Bloom Legolas elf than, like, (laughs) more little elves that we're thinking of. I don't know. The Keeblers? Like the Keeblers. Yeah. So uh, this is when I stopped trying to make this a real thing for this story. And I just like jumped into what I wanted to talk about in this field. And uh, you mentioned it. 
uh, Carleton University is currently and has been since February 2018 seeking candidates for a named professorship in, quote, the study of the conjuring arts. I know. So our one of the two one of the two big universities in Ottawa is looking for like a Job style illusionist to be there like their magician in residence i don't know i love that every time i come across it it just warms the cockles of my heart the, the posting has been up since february 2018 by the way like that is a fucking long time to search for professorship putting into context our business school got applications from i think it was 1700 applicants for eight jobs in the last three years <laughs> So the fact that, nope, anyway, I read the job description today and just had a lot of chuckles. So I would like to share with you what I learned about this position. It is, quote, from Carleton's University, this quote, this is a groundbreaking and exciting opportunity to develop a new interdisciplinary academic program and center for multidisciplinary approaches to the study of magic and the conjuring arts. The job post goes on to say, Areas of research related to the conjuring arts encompass a variety of fields, including psychology, history, literature, communications, media, religious studies, and theater, focusing on perception, illusion, deception, influence, and the history of magic. The study of the conjuring arts is an evolving area that represents a respected and growing academic area of study. Yeah, no. <laughs> I'm just like, I just, I find it confusing because I'm not sure if it's like, okay, so we're looking for a person who is Wiccan or Neo-Pagan and wants oh. to look at sort of that aspect of, of like magic and earth magic and like, you know, not like nobody who's Wiccan, you know, that sort of but or someone who's like a straight out like we're looking for pen or teller to head this up like it just it could, it's could no. go either way and i'm just not sure which way they want to go do they want to go serious with looking at like sort of the um old time religious that looked at sort of the connections of earth and the mysteries of it or like the people who believed in elves or do we want to go literally like you know, I'm doing the <laughs> jazz fingers, Magic like fingers. Job from. Um, I think, <laughs> yeah, it's illusions, Michael. No, um, I think they're looking for a third pathway through here, and they're not looking for anyone who particularly has those religious affiliations or like a spiritual affiliation or pen and teller. They're looking for a pure academic who has spent their career in academia on this topic. And like, there might be one or two out there, but let me read you some more from the job description and it'll become evident why it's been posted for so long. So candidates have to have a PhD and quote, evidence of an interdisciplinary and innovative approach in any area related to magic and the conjuring arts. This includes enchantment, wonder and the uncanny, alchemy, magical realism, healing and spiritualism, the performing body, Magic in the mind, magic in the psychology of deception, persuasion and suggestion, a psychology of magical beliefs and magical thinking, magical magic and colonialism, because of course you have to mention colonialism now and everything. Magic and modernity, history, science and technology, connections between magic, cinema, theater, gaming and other media, intersections of feminism, witchcraft and resistance, and practices of Black, South Asian, Indigenous, queer, and trans people and people of color. So Dumbledore. 
Carlton is hoping to hire Dumbledore. <laughs> they don't know what they want. They've no. they've created such a huge pos like I, like as a historian, I can tell you the people who are studying the practices of Black, South Asian, Indigenous, queer, trans, and other people of color uh, is one very distinct field. Then the people who are studying alchemy, alchemy, like if I'm a historian, I there's if there's two historians doing that, the only thing they have in common is they call themselves historians. Like there's no got could be any overlap. So this net is just far too wide, and I think it's why the job has been unfilled for so long. Because alchemy is a very specific, like what they're looking for is uh, lore. <laughs> yeah, or the witch from uh, Discovery of Witches. Right. Yes. Uh, yeah, a fictional character. Like yeah. this person does not exist. Yeah, exactly. We've just named two fictional characters that they would love to hire. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the problem, though, is that the school got $2 million from the Slate Family Foundation, and then the university, somebody was on crack that day, decided to match that $2 million and put it aside for this professorship. And it's not even a professorship, it's a chair. So it's a research chair. So it's like one step up from a professor. Yeah, I know. So they have $4 million just like sitting there <laughs> waiting for this like magical person to appear. In addition, the Slate Family Foundation donated more than 1,600 texts on, quote, deception to the university. So not only did they get a shit ton of money, they got a shit ton of archival material, too, that they have to sort through. I actually do want, because some of those books sound really hella interesting. I told you, in our library alone, you tell me what you want and I'll get them for you. That's no problem. And if you're asking yourself who the Slate family is, uh, the patriarch is an 87-year-old rock pioneer. Uh, he's the former co-owner of the Raptors and a media mogul and a, quote, amateur magician. At 87 years old, I think he should not have the ability to make decisions with the Family Foundation money anymore. Because clearly he's off kilter a little bit. <laughs> so you don't throw $2 million at a position that is never going to be filled because there just is no academic working in that field. Like, if you and I were smart, what we would do now is we could start a master's or a PhD degree specifically to fill this position. That's what and you I'll should you do. In four years. Well, I got a seven year plan, but I bet you, like, in four years, this position is still going to be open. <laughs> so in you can fill it. Instead of doing your accreditation PhD, you definitely should be doing a PhD in, like, alchemy or. Yeah. I'm going to crack it. I'm going to crack it, Andy, and I'm going to come up with, like, the elixir of life. Like, move over Nicholas Flamel. This gal's got it. <laughs> so I uh, needed a drink after reading that because my head was going to explode in the world of ever drinking budgets in universities. There's $4 million just sitting in a pod over there that nobody can touch. Uh, so it's a good thing that I'm next going to talk about viticulture and enology. Do you know what that was? No, I do not. I didn't either. I never heard the term. So according to the American Society for Enology and Viticulture... Enology and viticulture, which I just now enjoy saying at this point, uh, is the sciences of winemaking and grape growing. Ooh. So, now here is a truly fringe academic body uh, that is going strong, as the ASEV claims, um, which is the American Society of Enology and Viticulture. They claim to have 2,200 members. 
individual peoples, uh, and then 100 industrial affiliates and two chapters, one for the Eastern US and one in Japan. And I think their main chapter, their main body is in uh, California. Oh, that would make which sense. Which makes sense. Wine is. Yeah. It's interesting, though, that there's uh, chapters opening up in Eastern US and Japan, because that just shows that the climate is changing enough to grow wine grapes in those regions. So the society's first meeting was in 1950, and they now offer academic conferences, a peer-reviewed journal, and various awards and scholarships to its members. So if you want to study the art of winemaking, then you'd better head over to the University of California, Davis, for their program, which seems to be the Mac Daddy of all programs. Ooh. And even um, some of the literature from the American Society, it seemed like UC Davis was instrumental in forming that body. So if you go there, you can study at both the undergraduate and graduate levels, as well as get winemaking certificates from them. The undergrad curriculum features a lot of chemistry and biology, and the master's curriculum is also heavy in chem and bio. But then there's a bunch of courses that look uh, pretty boozy to me, such as wine stability, sensory evaluation of wine in the laboratory, and wine production, etc., etc. So if you're looking to do your master's in that area, expect to take three years to do it, which is actually a year longer for a master's program than normal. So wow. I'm assuming there's a lot of hangovers, so they need the extra time sure. to but recover. Aren't you, not, aren't you supposed to spit the wine and not drink it or something? Is this where they discover that the wine tastes like crushed rocks or some bullshit? That's that's a quitter's approach. <laughs> like, if you're going to take it, finish it. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> So I'm not a drinker, but I am a connoisseur of dummies. So I should probably look into agnotology, which is the study of culturally induced ignorance or doubt, particularly the publication of inaccurate or misleading scientific data. I can get in on that. So goop. <laughs> That's goop. Uh, anything Jenny McCarthy related with vaccines, such not. The term also highlights the increasingly common condition where more knowledge of a subject leaves one more uncertain than before. So, sure, Andy, we've seen a lot of globes that show the Earth is round, but are we absolutely sure? <laughs> okay, I discovered there's a whole Netflix documentary on flat earthers. Yeah, I saw that too as I was scrolling around this weekend. I don't know if that's yeah. new, but I was like, ooh. <laughs> More hate watching for you. <laughs> uh, the term uh, agnotology as a study was coined by Robert Proctor in his 1995 work, the Cancer Wars, How Politics Shapes What We Know and Don't Know About Cancer. And the example that best explains agnotology is how the tobacco industry advertised their product to create an agnotological environment for their customers. So there's some examples, like we can all agree that tobacco companies are pretty slimy when it comes to yes. their marketing and their sales techniques. Um, and they had a lot of strategies to make their consumers more ignorant. Uh, one of them... Uh, tobacco companies found that their sales numbers dipped when they advertised on TV. So a bit of a, a reverse of what you would expect. Uh, the results of that was because uh, anytime they put a, an ad on television, anti-smoking campaigns would start, which were effective. So they found that by advertising their product, they'd create backlash that would drive down sales of their product. So they were actually instrumental in lobbying to limit what they could actually advertise on television for their product. Hmm. So there's no longer like doctors smoking Chesterfields between like scenes of like old shows because they realized they had to hinder themselves in that way. 
Tobacco companies would also question the validity and wisdom of these anti-smoking campaigns if they use state funds. Uh, so kind of saying there's a financial crisis happening because there's always a financial crisis happening. How can you justify spending money on this? Like it's not directly impacting anyone. You can't tell for sure. So that would drive down the anti-smoking campaigns that were state funded. They would also create their own anti-smoking campaigns, oddly enough, like the stop the youth smoke Mm -hmm. type of advertising. And it would score them uh, easy points because it's a legal issue. They couldn't sell to minors. But it would also help them question why states were paying for any sort of anti-smoking campaign, especially geared towards children when they were already doing it. So you were just double dipping when you didn't need to. So they were able to effectively stop uh, the states from running their own anti-smoking campaigns that way. Uh, Another nifty little technique that they used uh, when they would get sued and they all did eventually frequently uh, if there was any sort of monetary uh, settlement required they would put very specific vocabulary into the settlement agreements saying that you couldn't use the money for certain things so for example in florida one settlement said that the monetary penalty that the company was forced to pay would be used for, quote, media, educational, and other programs directed to the underage user of potential underage user of tobacco products because they were limiting the states of using their money just to gear be geared at kids. Then they weren't actually stopping the advertisers. The advertisement was going towards adults, yeah. which is their actual market they were trying to target. So they're putting a lot of this agnotologyistic getting out there trying to hide facts and dilute facts. Uh, speaking of diluting facts, in our day and age, freedom to information is a basic starting point for any sort of investigation that you're doing. So you'd file a freedom to information request with a company or with the government. Tobacco companies realized that they could benefit from this by flooding people who are making requests with as many documents as they could possibly put on a car or put on a, a truck and send over. So it would dilute the amount of information that the investigators were actually looking for and would just be giving out so much that they couldn't find anything useful in all the data. Yeah. Like I said, tobacco uh, is icky <laughs> and they have been around long enough to know how to game every single system every single time. So keep that in mind the next time you go pick up a pack. Just a quick temperature gauge before this next one. How angry are you with men slash humanity in general today? I'm pretty good. I'm, I'm a happy You're girl good. today. I'm like always on a steady simmer and ready to boil over. So yes, this one really, yeah, this one really hit me over the top. Uh, if you're interested in it, you can go to university to get a degree in quote family and consumer sciences. Let me explain. This program is offered at Liberty University. Uh, that's right. The school founded by Heaven's Dirtbag, Jerry Falwell. According to the website of the program, students, quote, develop the values, knowledge, and skills you need to be an advocate for the contemporary family. Furthermore, the program seeks to strengthen the individual, institution of family and communities through the dissemination of biblical knowledge and the education of professionals. This program includes family and child development, clothing, interiors, consumer economics, and event planning. You could take courses that include principles of food and food safety, concepts of interior design, parenting, family economic decisions, human nutrition, and event planning. Possible careers that you can end up pursuing after graduation includes adult or child care administrator, 
event planner, wedding planner, and teacher. It's basically a home ec degree designed and hidden behind a Bachelor of Science. I'm really offended by their use of my profession. <laughs> yes. Um, I would also like to speak to our friends who actually have Bachelors of Science that are actually Bachelors of Science and see how they feel about the fact that they could have had the same degree and just learned how to make pies. So, I mean, um, to me, this isn't even a full-on home ec degree. It's an MRS degree. <laughs> it's the type of thing where you just go to college to find a husband. The okay. Mrs. Degree, MRS. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. See, I didn't know what it was either until some jackass asked me in, like, first year, are you here just for an MRS degree? And I told him to go fuck himself. <laughs> this is... Total stranger. I didn't know who he was. That's fucking weird. Yeah. So, uh, at Liberty University, I looked at their faculty. Um, probably no shocker. There are no male faculty listed as being active in the program. Of the seven faculty, only two have PhDs. Four of them are listed as Mrs. And one is listed as Ms. The MS. Which I think tells us all we need to know about gender politics at Liberty University. I only found one man's picture on the website. Uh, and he looks to be both baking a cake, since there's a two-pound bag of sugar on the table next to him. And competing in Project Runway, since he's actively measuring with a plastic 30-inch or 12-inch ruler a piece of fabric. So I'm not saying it's a horribly staged photo, but I'm not not saying that either. Maybe that's not sugar. Um. <laughs> it literally says two pounds sugar. <laughs> I'm like, come on. Like, also, I'm not saying you can identify someone's sexual orientation by a photo. I am kind of saying my radar went a little like, bing. <laughs> so... <laughs> I feel bad for this gentleman having to go to Liberty University unless this was just a stock photo that they found. In Probably. which case, it. it screams stock photo, though. It does scream yeah. terrible stock photo. <laughs> so here's my last one before a short lightning round that I have. Uh, and this is also maybe one of my favorites. Seriologists. C-E-R-E-ologists. The origin of the word is the Roman goddess of agriculture, Ceres. Uh, and this weird little nerdy group studies crop circles. <laughs> Up front, as a bunch, they'll generally admit that the majority of crop circles are pranks. However, those that aren't obvious pranks are often ascribed to extraterrestrial activity, which is the common, what we all think. Other possible uh, causes, plasma vortices in the planet. So just... The planet starts swirling in a funny direction, I guess, and happens to flatten crops. Or, and this one I like, is the consciousness of the planet Earth, uh, which is also known as the Gaia hypothesis, which posits that Earth is a living, conscious superorganism. Hmm. And I guess it just decides it wants to dress up that day in that particular field and puts on a fancy little pattern. Oh. Gaia's like, I'm bored. What shall I do? <laughs> <laughs> let's fuck with the tiny ants <laughs> from curiosity.com quote one of the more scientific theories postulates that crop circles form when natural vortices of wind flatten the crops however most professionals believe that crop circles are 100% man-made I would just like to pause and remind you that that quote said most professionals believe that crops are man-made crop circles so I don't think we're we're dancing with some 
questionable vocabulary there, but all right. Uh, what we do know is that they started getting mainstream media attention in the UK in the late 70s and 80s. Um, and I have seen video clips of people making really complex circles uh, in crops. And all it takes is a two by four and some uh, rope and about an hour. And you can make some really complex patterns. However, some seriologists feel that the mathematical equations at work are too complex uh, for this to be the case every time. And so they have their, their alternate theories of aliens and Gaia and really strong winds. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> how, do you, how do you go to Thanksgiving dinner and explain what it is you do to pay bills <laughs> when this is your job? So, darling, how was your day? Well, I was out in a cornfield in uh, yep. Lancaster, and uh... and yeah, can I borrow some money? <laughs> I'm assuming that's how every conversation goes. <laughs> so, to round things out, I have a lightning round: astrobiology which is the exploration of life outside of Earth and the investigation of the origins and early evolutions of life on Earth. So all you Doctor Who wannabes, go study astrobiology. There are programs at the University of Washington and Penn State. So Andy, when you decide you want to go back to school, that's where you should go. <laughs> Washington, you mean. Or Penn State. Beetleology. Uh, uh, this degree program lets students, uh, quote, Examine the significance of the music of the Beatles in the construction oh. of identities, audiences, ethnicities, and industries, and localities. And can you guess which institution offers this program? A British one? Yes. It has to be the University of Liverpool, of course. That's true, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Who else is going to offer a degree in the Beatles? <laughs> this next field may actually kill me, and that's citrusology. <laughs> Students learn about planting, irrigating, weed management, pruning, fertilizers, pest identification and management, and other aspects of tree management, working with on-campus collections of many varieties of citrus trees. So I don't know if we've mentioned it, but I do have an allergy to citrus, and so this is not a career field that I would like to focus on in the future. No. No surprise here, this program is offered by Florida Southern College, and you'll take courses in Citrus 101, Grove Management, and Plants in Society. You gotta really fucking love oranges to dedicate. <laughs> you gotta be dedicated like they like you read about. <laughs> Committed yeah. like you read about. Right, that's the quote. Yeah. Finally, this one threw me. Uh, there is a really popular and apparently well-respected program in Canadian studies offered at Duke University in the States. Uh, it is <laughs> Duke of all places seeks to provide the students with an understanding of Canada and looks at history, politics, and society. Don't go to Duke. It's a fucking Ivy league school. Come to anywhere in Canada because we have each university has a Canadian studies degree. Yeah, I know it's our thing. <laughs> Save your Ivy league tuition. <laughs> Come to Canada. Stay in Although Canada. <laughs> So that is my story for this week. Weird and wonderful niche fields of study. And that's that. Yeah, mine was con people. It's going to take some work to find a, an overlap. Well, Theranos, Thanos. Mm, there it is. There. I'll let that mull around and we'll see what pops out at the end. <laughs> 
So that is our show for this week. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. Maggie did. Maggie's kicking around. She's here for snugs. It's past her bedtime. So she's now just sitting on my story and kind of chewing on it. So it's all good. Uh, If you would like to find us, our website is www.rabbitholespodcast.com. On our website, you can find all of our show notes, uh, links to our Patreon page and support tab, links to our merch store, which is housed at Redbubble. So please do check those out. If you want to get in touch with us, let us know about some rabbit holes that you find particularly enjoyable or that you would like to suggest we dive down. Our email is rabbitholespodcasts at gmail.com and we would love to hear from you. You can find us on the socials at Twitter, on Twitter at Rabbit Holes Pod, on Instagram at Rabbit Holes Podcast, and Facebook at Rabbit Holes Podcast page. If you like what we do, you can give us a review or a rating or a recommendation on the various podcast platforms as well as on Facebook itself. Also, if you do like what we're doing, just spread the word, tell your friends, tell your neighbors, <laughs> say, listen to Rabbit Holes podcast because the girls are hella funny. Because uh, we are. I'm going to apologize because my story was kind of strange, but it is what it, it is. It was super interesting. Now I definitely yeah. want to watch that Shonda Rhimes uh, piece on it just to get the dirt from that perspective. She's just crazy. Like. <laughs> But I sort of picture her, like, accent, because they were like, she had this sort of strange European accent. I was sort of picturing now in my head the Lindsay Lohan with that, like, whatever the fuck that was that she was doing for a while. So oh, like that Madonna, like, faux British accent. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Maggie's going to town on my notes. She's really enjoying them. <laughs> so, uh... This one runs a lot smoother, this closeout piece, when we're actually doing the pieces that we know and not, like, trying to fly by the seat of our pants, which was a disaster a couple weeks ago. <laughs> oh, boy. So. We're creatures of habit. Yes. With that said, there's only one last thing to do, and that's to remind you that if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.